genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's greatest film franchises, a movie at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today, we are continuing our mini-series on the Men in Black franchise, and today we're talking about the long-awaited sequel to the record-breaking franchise starter. This is 2002's Men in Black 2. And we have guests joining us to talk about Burger King, Memory Loss, and Tiny Spaceships, our fellow podcasters and all around great guys, Mark Ibarra and Nathan Alexander. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey. Hey. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So before we get into it, <clears throat> Scott, do you do you have fond memories about this movie? Uh no. No, I do not. Um <laughs> I I saw it uh in theaters. Uh this is this this is the summer of two thousand two. Yeah. This is a big <laughs> oh. summer for me. This is the summer that uh, Spider-Man came out um, and ruled my life all summer. And I was like, man, and it's only going to be uphill from here because one of my favorite movies ever is getting a sequel and it's going to be amazing. And like, it's going to, I'm going to have Spider-Man at the early part of the summer. I'm going to have Men in Black in the back half of the summer. Uh, it's all coming up, Scott. This was the 4th of July movie. Weekend. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then I saw Men in Black 2. And I don't know, at, especially at the time, um, and really when I'm thinking about it really hard, I can't think of a movie that I've ever been more disappointed with, um, <laughs> in the history of, of watching movies. Now I have, I have different, I have different feelings about it having revisited it, um, uh, last night before recording this, but, uh, I have not seen it since. Were you in high um, school at the time? Or yeah. Little, yeah. Okay. I was, a. I, this was the summer between my junior and senior year. Wow. So, um, it's yeah. Summer. Yeah. So uh Big summer in a young man's <laughs> Yeah. So my so my memory of this movie is uh th- this is the most disappointed I've ever been with a movie that I've ever mm. ever up to seen. that point. Up to that point. As far as I can remember. I'm sure there's another example of a movie I was m- way more disappointed wow, with. Same summer as Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Yeah. That I wasn't so disappointed with because I knew okay. what I was getting at that point, but There wasn't the short the guy, yeah, what? I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't as shocking as yeah. this one was to me at the time. Uh Mark, what about you? Uh, so this movie, I think, I remember in high school, I won like a winter, like a Christmas package and it came with like, you know, coffee mug and like hot cocoa and a DVD of Polar Express and a DVD of Men in Black 2. Uh, and I think (laughs) I didn't see the movie until then. So I watched it and, uh, I agree with Scott. It's, uh, I'm, I'm good on it. I don't (laughs) love it at all as close as i do the first one and i really like the third one men in black Mm -hmm. three um i could be wrong on that but i just really liked seeing that third one um and i've seen the third one twice the men in black two i've only seen once and uh i remember the burger king had like 
Men in Black 2 toys. And I remember collecting all of those and being really ex- extremely hyped for the movie. But then when I, once I saw it, I was just like, eh, I don't know why. Um, but to prepare for this, I, I rewatched it. And I, I think I know why I don't like it. But we can get uh-huh. into that later. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Nathan. Um, it's, uh, is there more room on that uh, bus for n- not being impacted by this movie? Because I'll take a ticket. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't. I honestly don't remember it. I, I when I was telling Mark, I was like, "Man, I I feel like I've seen this movie in its entirety." But I feel like every time I watched it, it was on cable, so there was commercials, so it had to have been like a pop in and out situation with going on. Um, the biggest thing I remember from it is Johnny Knoxville being in it. I was a <laughs> big, course. big fan of that. So <laughs> that, that stuck with me, but everything else, um, I, I couldn't say that if I remembered it or not. The first one I loved, that was great. Uh, amazing movie. Um, but now again, like Scott, I'm kind of with you rewatching it now, like revisiting it. I kind of feel like it was a decent sequel to the first one. And I think, that may be wrong, but I kind of enjoyed watching the little bit uh, here and there of, 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 I don't know, it was yeah. fun. I, no, we'll get I enjoyed it. it more than, than in 2002. Now, if you say it was in 2002 and Attack of the Clones was out, that had to have been a reason why I have absolutely no memory of this yeah. movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I saw this movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have. Mm-hmm. But Attack of the Clones overshadowed literally yeah. everything in my life when that movie was coming out. I had... <laughs> so much because that that was like hardcore star wars nathan like yeah getting into it it was the prequels were so strong at that time at least for me and my brother and i mean star wars was just overshadowing everything so anything space-wise i think it just kind of you know there wasn't a little green goblin man flipping around so i didn't care <laughs> right <laughs> i remember being really hyped for men in black 2 as well i somehow miss seeing this in the theater uh, mm-hmm. But I watched this a lot in heavy rotation when it would be on HBO a few months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the, the the way that a kid or at least I my brain would watch movies is I would. Just I thought Men in Black were inherently cool. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I would watch I would watch Men in Black 2 kind of like Attack of the Clones where I would enjoy the parts that I would enjoy. And then there would be parts that I'd be like, oh, that's not as good, but it's still Men mm-hmm. in Black. And like, I'd rather be watching Men in Black than not watching Men in Black. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, we have some unfinished business about the first Men in Black movie. Uh, it was the third highest grossing movie of 1997, followed only by Titanic. <laughs> okay, fair. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Steven Spielberg's The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, wow, 97. Big year. 97 yeah. was a big year. Uh. It, was, it was critically acclaimed. I think to this day it holds like a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Siskel and Ebert both enjoyed it. It got three Oscar <laughs> nominations. Danny Elfman received an Oscar nomination for original score. Mm-hmm. Bo Welch and uh, someone we didn't bring up last episode, Cheryl Karasik, was the set decorator, and she'd come back for Men in Black too. Mm. And uh, Rick Baker won an Oscar for best makeup for his work. Of course he did. The first Men in Black. Of course he did. Look at it. Yeah. Look at the yeah. makeup. <laughs> so yes. this was a huge success. Uh, it grossed six five hundred and eighty nine million dollars on a ninety million budget. Nice. And I this. <laughs> so this was a this was a wow. big hit. Everybody wanted a part two, but there was some uh, financial issues <clears throat> to take care of if we were going to make that happen. In the process of making the first movie, it turned out that Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, and Barry Sonnenfeld were not given back end points for the movie. Mm. 
or receive bad deals in the back end points compared to Walter Parks, Laurie McDonald producers and Steven Spielberg. So that was like the first issue is like, if we're going to do this, we want like a better deal. Yeah. You're like, you guys didn't make this movie. We did. We're the reason why this movie was as big of a hit as it was. Steven Spielberg, granted, probably got them in the door, I but came everybody up with the cockroach else. thing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is a little ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, oh. not having a good deal on that. So things kind of stalled. It didn't happen immediately. Barry Sonnenfeld and Will Smith would go on to make uh, Wild Wild West in the meantime. <laughs> yep. Classic. Uh, and uh, that movie didn't do so hot. People really didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know this. Bo Welch was the production designer on that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eric Breivig, the visual effects supervisor for Men in Black, also on Wild Wild West. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Wild Wild West is basically a Men in Black movie in the Old West. I mean, yeah. that's... <laughs> it's also interesting, too, because if we're talking about Will Smith movie songs, right? Sure. They mm-hmm. they are just diminishing returns. Though I oh, I disagree say, with you there. I, oh, see, I think, I think Men in Black is the best. Uh, and then Wild Wild West, and then Black Suits Coming is the worst. Oh, right. see, I'm almost the inverse. I actually, I think I'm exactly the inverse. And oh, wow. I've actually been meaning to. I actually, this is a big uh, vocal point for me. Uh, the strongest memory I have of this whole affair mm-hmm. uh, was it was like around spring break, 2002. Uh, I was staying at my friend Juan's house. We were playing our way through Majora's Mask, and. <laughs> Uh, I'm on board with all of it. <laughs> Where does it go downhill from here? <laughs> yeah, and we were we were the the living room TV was on, and MTV used to do this thing called MTV Spring Break. Of course, where mm-hmm. people, they would be like on the beach, and they would have like we're on Spring Break, and now it's on the a platform. Yeah. yeah, totally the platform, and then they throw it to a video. Does MTV even have VJs anymore? I can't imagine I think why. So. Yeah, I think I don't know. I think it's hmm, okay. ridiculousness now. <laughs> yeah, and that's all they do. That is Rob Deerdeck, twenty four seven, Chanel West Rob. Coast, all the time. <laughs> yeah. But so they were like, okay, now we're gonna throw. It's the world premiere of the new music video for the Men in Black Two song. Black suits coming, not your head, and it rocked my world. Mm. And few things got me more. I think revisiting the themes because you know, listening to the Men in Black theme, it's more of like a club dance song. Mm-hmm. And Black suits mm-hmm. coming has like that rock sample. It's like a banger to me, mm-hmm. and to me, it just gets me more hyped than than the Men in Black mm-hmm. song. I I mm-hmm. I I honestly, I just think it was. I mean, I think it just might be an age gap thing because Maybe. I don't think I was watching MTV anymore come two thousand two, and so I didn't hear that song a lot, mm-hmm. and so I have no nostalgia for it whatsoever. No, uh, and I'm like, yeah, this song's fine, but it's no Men in Black and it's no Wild Wild yeah. West. I think it does and- a better job of uh, explaining the plot. There's a chick right, <laughs> Selena making me sick, right? Earth sure, is worthless to her, she'd be tripping, right? <laughs> sure. It's like, well, you, once you get off the the Men in Black alien attack ride, they're always just blasting Men in Black. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Always. I never like, wrote that. Here, at shops. Least. Yeah. It's just yeah. well, it's always, always playing. That would be why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wild Wild West, the movie also has the distinction of finally giving John Peters the mechanical spider, spider. that he always had in his dream. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. The song Wild Wild West is a, is a classic, and also does a great job of explaining the plot. He <laughs> <laughs> could do it all. But uh, so that movie really underperformed, and uh, Barry Sonnenfeld personally saw was that audiences didn't like Jim West being the straight man or Will Smith being the straight man. Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, we bucked mm-hmm. with the formula. So the, the reason they were able to make the movie was Amy Pascal, who was then a producer at Sony, which we'll get back to. She's a big person in this kind of era of franchise filmmaking. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
worked out a deal. She sat everyone together, all the parties together, and created what she called the first and last deal, which meant that 50% of the first $200 million the movie grossed would be split six ways between them. Mm. And so uh, all of the millionaires were <laughs> were satisfied. <laughs> and Meta Black 2 was finally able to uh, get underway. Amy Pascal, a huge summer for her because she's big on the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man as well. Yeah. So this is like, this is a massive summer for Amy Pascal and Sony Pictures. Yeah. She would later become co-chairperson of Sony. And I yeah. think that this is probably a big summer. This for... might be the, is this the biggest Sony summer? It might be. Wow. Yeah. The biggest Sony summer. It might be. It might be. I have a question. Please. Yeah. Is this, since this being a sequel that, uh, in my opinion, is more centered around uh, Will, Smith's, Will Smith's character, is 2002 still a year of, of, of really heavy Will Smith, or is he still climbing up the mountain, or is he like already peaked, like, you know, highest grossing I, I remember even by Black Suits Come and Nod Your Head, he was definitely no longer, like, cool mm. the way he was in 97, when he was just like... Oh hell yeah, Will Smith. Okay, I didn't know if like the, uh, I don't know. Let's yeah. center a sequel around this character now. Because, so and I kind of played into that. I mm-hmm. guess just to put it into context, right? So we had we had Men in Black in '97, right? And then his next movie was Enemy of the State, Tony Scott's Enemy of the State, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Uh, unofficial, low key, non sequel, but kind of sequel to the conversation francis ford coppola's the conversation mm-hmm. um and then we move on to ali uh well 2000 the legend of bagger vance oh. so i think that was like the first time that well people were like okay will smith in a movie not a guaranteed hit right we can't will smith golfing is not a thing that people really care about <laughs> um and then and then we go into ali of course yeah which um, is a okay. great performance but i think also kind of underperformed at the time people, yeah compared to people's expectations well because the problem with ali is the um the digital video cinematography it was like the first movie to ever do that right yeah first or second um it's what certainly how am i looking at yeah so, certainly one of the because I, I don't remember if this is what started michael mann doing that um, or if he had had one before that, mm-hmm. but it was, I remember it was off putting for a lot of people because they're like, I just look like, I feel like I'm watching like home video footage or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then we go into men in black too. So honestly, he'd only done like a movie a year up to this point. Um, obviously I skipped wild, wild west, but yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's yeah. He... Tommy Lee Jones kept busy as well. He was in uh U.S. Marshals, a sequel to the fugitive where he played his character from the fugitive. Right. Uh, Another sequel. Nobody saw. Nobody remembers. I didn't know never. there was a sequel to The Fugitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Wesley yeah. Snipes, right? What is yeah. it called? Yeah, Robert. It's called U.S. Marshals. Robert Dowdy Jr. is in it too. Yeah. Huh. Uh, he was the voice of Major Chip Hazard in Joe yeah. Dante's Small Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Hell yes! Amazing. That was a big. That was a big Scott movie. That was I a big Scott movie. All those action figures. Yep. Had yep. to have. Yep. Big, big Me movie. too. Big also. Movie. At the time, uh, maybe this is uh, ignorance, but a pretty solid video game for the PlayStation 1, I remember. I don't remember. the. Oh, I didn't have a play- PS1, so okay. I never played it. I didn't even know there was a video game. To First console I ever had. And then oh, he was nice. in Clint Eastwood Space Cowboys. Yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, that was a Clint Eastwood movie, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Huh. So, uh, Parks and McDonald got the okay. They hire mm. screenwriter Robert Gordon, writer of Galaxy Quest, to write the script. Mm, okay. Mm. 
Okay, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Did is there is there any word as far as why, Eric Solomon? Yeah, why Ed Solomon didn't return? No, no, no mention. Uh, he has an interesting career. I think I wrote down what he worked on somewhere in my notes, but no, he was not asked to come back. So Robert Gordon, writer of Galaxy Quest, undergoes a similar writing process that uh, Eric Solomon did in Part One, which is uh, he worked on a script for a year, would go and talk to Parks and McDonald, and they would bang it out with him parks and mcdonald consider themselves writers and filmmakers as much as producers so like storytelling and story structure is like was important to them Mm -hmm. a year later they had a script tommy lee jones was always going to come back he didn't come back until page 50 and they were like oh we want him back sooner so they just hired a new writer as you do as you do and uh that writer was barry finero all I'm going to say about Barry Finero is his last, his latest screenwriting credit is I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Uh, okay. Barry Finero wrote a lot of pop culture references into the script. Things like Frank the dog singing Who Let the Dogs Out. Right. There's a part where Johnny Knoxville tells Johnny Knoxville that Third Rock from the Sun is a reference to... The third know. rock from the sun. Yeah. yeah. The sun. <laughs> One uh, another interesting story note. Uh, there's a subplot here about Rosario Dawson being uh, a lost. I, I'm sorry. I just can't get over the fact that they hired a writer to put the worst parts of the movie into the movie. Yeah. They're like, that was their job. They're like, your job is to make this movie actively worse. Here very, you go. Very telling. Here's, here's a million dollars. <laughs> That's insane. And okay, sorry, continue. Uh, no, and uh, there's a subplot about Rosario Dawson being a uh, a lost alien princess mm-hmm. uh, hidden on Earth. This was a, a story idea that Walter Parks came <clears throat> to Amy Pascal with. It was from a script that he had written, an original script about a girl who's always wanted to find out who her parents are, and she finds out that she's an alien and, and a princess. Walter compared this subplot to the movie Casablanca, mm-hmm. in, in the in the way that it's about like star-crossed lovers, a guy. Will Smith being like Rick having to choose between a girl and his <laughs> Obviously. job. Obviously, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, certainly, certainly the thing that I think of immediately when I think of Men yeah. in Black Two is Casablanca. It's the first. Oh, thing it's that comes space to mind. Casablanca. Yeah. Got yeah. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and I guess like, and the closing thing I want to get to before we get into the movie is I, I, a lot. A lot has been said about how this movie feels like a like a cheap knockoff <laughs> or trying to recapture the lightning of the first movie. Like, why deneuralize K? And uh, in the book, there's some really interesting quotes from Barry Sonnenfeld and Walter Parks about how they always saw the first Men in Black movie and the series in general as small movies disguised as big movies. To them, the movie was about Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. It was never about the world. There's an Barry Sonnenfeld even said that he's like the set pieces and the action stuff to me aren't the best parts of that movie. I don't really like comparing them to like Marvel stuff. Cause it's like not even in the same field. Mm-hmm. You go to those movies to see Tommy and will bounce off each other and you love that chemistry. So not bringing him back was never sounded like an option. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because to have it worded in from a character standpoint, I could kind of see where they were coming from mm-hmm. of like, well, we don't, we're not interested in like two other agents or whatever. But yeah, as a result, it kind of just feels uh, a lot of this movie feels like the first movie reheated, unfortunately. Yeah. And in retrospect, learning what I, I said about the, the writing process makes a lot of sense, because I think the thing you miss the most in this movie is Eric Solomon's script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although <laughs> although getting the guy that wrote Galaxy Quest makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I just think they should have stuck with him and not brought in other writers to like fix it. They should have just let him keep rewriting. Yeah. I think. I think eventually he would have gotten something at least close to Galaxy Quest, which you know yes. is is a great 
is a classic movie, but mm-hmm. this is uh you can I can see the Galaxy Quest in this. Mm-hmm. But then there's all this extra stuff that I'm like, oh, that's another writer. That's, that's another, another writer. writer. That's another yeah, writer. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And Galaxy yeah. Quest still has like, for fans of Star Trek, they there's still something to chew on in Galaxy Quest that is a little bit uh, tangible to the aesthetic that they that they love about it. And with Men in Black, the first one, like, and this is why I love the first one so much is, and like the attraction itself at Universal Studios is, it makes you really soak in that retro 60s sci-fi yeah and this is more of just a will smith movie Mm -hmm. inside the men in black franchise and it doesn't have that 60s sci-fi stuff that i love so much well there there is a lot of 60s sci-fi stuff in this it's just like it's a different flavor of it it's not like a retro future thing it's more of like a like a sci-fi fantasy thing yeah, but it, yeah it still has that 60s quality to it but it, it does have more of like a space opera yeah look to it a uh, lot of it anyway. yeah sonnenfeld went to rick baker and bo welch during the pre-production said that he wanted this movie to feel a little more grittier in the way that he wanted the aliens to feel more like they were part of the world mm-hmm. of new york okay so like actually show like that whole uh processing process mm. of them getting to MIB filling out the paperwork kind of thing the Burger mm-hmm. King scenes and stuff like that that kind of thing like seeing a little bit more from the ground level I can see that I will yeah. agree that it does I mean that's why I felt like it was a decent sequel because it was maybe because it was reusing so much of first men in black stuff mm-hmm. it did feel like a rinse and repeat after you know K gets back into it which I can't argue with that's not what I wanted to see. You know, a men in black. Yeah. I do want to see Agent J and K doing Agent J and K things. So, I do want to see them open up the trunk and pull out the two guns and blast something away. You know, but like mm-hmm. again, you're right. It's it, I, it gets to a point where it's just boring. Yeah, I do have a fix for the K problem that's in this, but I'll get to it when we get to yeah. it. Yeah, but but um, let's 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 break let's start breaking this movie down. So like we yeah. start with this opening, this sort of like cold open, mm-hmm. um, that is a, uh, a VHS tape, sort of like unsolved mystery style, but like even maybe even older than that kind of um thing called Mysteries in History, uh, with host Peter Graves talking about the Men in Black and giving us. A bunch of exposition about an event that, as far as I can tell, the people making this show should have no information about. Right. Um, but they apparently <laughs> know, like, I like eighty percent of the story. You know, I, I am obsessed with the idea of there being kind of like a Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights type character who makes this show, but has like actual Men in Black intel. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If there's there's there i think the men in black have like a leak somewhere because uh and something tells me it's zed He's, i don't know why <laughs> but i think yeah. i think it's gonna be zed i don't know grip. i don't yeah i don't i don't trust that beard i don't know because it's uh, dead on all the information it's right on yeah um, yeah it's just little details like it was night and it was raining and you know it was like little details like that but like beyond that everything else was correct mm-hmm. yeah it was very but I strange. also feel like frank the dog could just be talking to someone and he's like oh yeah we're doing all kinds of crazy stuff over there and the guy's just like well but t- frank the dog just started working for the mib between the two movies Oh, because he used to just he used to just like have like a creepy. He was an informant. Yeah. What yeah. was what was that dude's name in Rocky Horror? Um, oh, um, Richard O'Brien. Yeah, Richard O'Brien. He had like a Richard O'Brien looking assistant. Uh, and he was like, I had a newspaper stand. He got shook mm-hmm. around. 
<laughs> but he wasn't working for the Men in Black yet. Oh, yeah. So. And, right. It's a new development. And it's a big, and Frank the Pug, it, it, it's kind of an early indicator of what this movie, you know, what this kind of prerogative is. It's like, yeah, we're just going to bring stuff back. Right. Mm-hmm. It, but but more. It's like he was an informant. Now he's an agent. I, you know, with with these franchises, and we're going to be talking about, you know, that's the whole point of this show is we're going to be talking about franchises. And I think that we're going to see what I'm going to call the second movie victory lap. Um, yeah, a lot in franchises, and yeah. that's what this is. It's like we did such a good job. Let's pat ourselves on the back, everybody. Good work, that's good it. work. We did it. Absolutely. And it's like, guys, you're only on your second movie. Relax. That's exactly how I think about this movie. I'm glad that you say that because uh, yeah. that's what it feels like—a victory lap. Yeah, and it's like, guys, you made one movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> relax. Uh, so the opening of this, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, I was comparing and contrasting, you know, the last movie and how perfect every moment of that movie is versus this movie. And, you know, the last movie we have, we're following the bug around, which is like a perfect setup to like, it's smashing on the windshield and the guy being like damn bugs, which is like sets up your whole mm-hmm. villain thing here. We just have, uh, uh, Serlina, like just shooting through the galaxy, wrecking planets. And the whole, the whole wrecking planets thing, is this a reference to the fact that like the galaxy is like the size of a marble because like the ship is small is the big reveal when it lands in Central Park. It's like a tiny ship, but like just earlier we saw it like wrecking suns and planets and yeah. all this stuff. There's a weightlessness to a lot of this movie <laughs> that bugs me in terms of action. Yeah, and it's kind of like that where it's like, was that a big planet? How big is the rocket? Oh yeah, because when the rocket lands, it's really small. Right, it's tiny. It's a little, it's a little baby rocket. <laughs> because she pops out of there and she's just like a little a little creature little, little creature little little bug thing mm-hmm. another bug by the way which yeah. is like a plant yeah well yeah but i know but it's like it's like a wormy looking thing at first yeah, yeah. and it has like the yeah i don't know man there's there's she's like a little thing and then he and then and then we meet the 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 worm later the worm dude later in the like subway jeff, that's like jeff, jeff yeah who's like a giant worm 600 foot worm. idea for aliens is just all like bugs just insect insectoid yeah, type sure. things it's like yeah that's got to be an alien right i don't mm-hmm. know big eyes um, sure yeah uh, that's when we meet t yeah yeah a uh, brief note on on selena's ship though uh it was designed by Bo welch uh, meant to be uh, the the design was meant to emulate like early 20th century like amazing fantasy science fiction yes yeah. i was gonna say especially with those like tube legs that it comes out and everything mm-hmm. it kind of yeah. does look still like 60s sci-fi esque mm. yeah and here's a fun fact a replica of the ship was erected as part of the black rock arts foundation in san francisco the piece was titled ray gun gothic rocket ship and was at pier 14 for three years i love that name um, it's a cool design and i also i really really like danny elfman serlina's score i wish it came back more throughout yes. the movie i'm gonna i'm gonna move forward a little bit but then i'm only doing that so that we can work our way back to to serlina because we have it's a it's a whole process here but so we move on we meet t jay's new partner played by patrick warburton mm-hmm. um and that's when we learn that l is not in the, sh- in, the in the movie anymore uh, you know, Linda Florent- Fiorentino not returning for, for her role, which was set up in the, at the end of the previous film, um, for reasons that we kind of went into in the last episode. But uh, what I find interesting about Linda Fiorentino not coming back is that they cast the actress that everyone confuses with <laughs> Linda Fiorentino, Lara Flynn Boyle, as Serlina, and it's the most 
confusing casting choice um, ever. I don't know. Yeah, I, she was not the original choice. Oh, who was the original choice? Uh, originally, the part went to none other than Famke Jamson, Jean Grey from Fox's X-Men series. That oh. makes sense. Although she kind of plays that role a little bit in um, The Faculty. Huh, yeah. Very similar role in The Faculty. Yeah. yeah. I, I was sad when I learned that. It would have been cool to see Famke Jamson in like, more of a comedy role. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then Laura Finn Boyle came on to replace. I think it was scheduling conflicts. Sure, sure. Um, she's introduced. She eats a guy. Then she throws him back up mm-hmm. because she gets a belly. <laughs> Um, she's based on an underwear model that she finds in a magazine. Um, You had a question? Yeah, yeah, you were saying that Elle wasn't um, coming back. And there's a point, I think, that that, uh, Jay makes where he's saying something later on in the film about she wanted to go back to the morgue. I just, like, helped her out a little bit. Is she dead? He murdered her, yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) No, no, no. She She worked in a morgue. Um, in the I know that, film. yeah. But is it not a play on words? Uh, so she I wanted to go back, back. to board. I just helped her out a little bit. Like, did you, did you yeah. just kill us? You killed this? Oh, movie? I see. Yeah, I, I guess you could read it as a like a double entendre. I sort thought of. it I was. Didn't. That's why Nick <laughs> that Cannon was, the... was so afraid of him. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. There you go. Just. <laughs> um. Yeah. So uh, we have this uh, this Jeff scene. Jeff the trash worm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, landed on earth in 1986 when he was like super small yeah it was like a tiny thing uh patrick warburton's t is the first sign that in my opinion the first sign that this movie is uh not ed solomon anymore Uh, his it's just i think what was so cool about the first movie is it treated the audience like so like we were so smart Mm mm-hmm and like we can throw these big ideas at you and we know you can handle it. And there's just something I don't mean to be mean, but there's something kind of just dumb about this movie. Yeah. Kind of like it's not doesn't seem to be trying very hard with like the jokes or the plot. Mm-hmm. And I, you're, you're right. Like these kind of jokes are just really the Patrick Warburton stuff is really goofy. Yeah, it's 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 goofy. But like in a I don't know, man, in like in a way that is just not funny, like at all. Um, It's very childish, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. A well, lot of it. I think it goes back to just like the tone. I think the first one had such a specific tone. Right. And like the the formula was so specific. Right. Yeah. Um, So uh, Patrick Warburton. um, uh, Yeah. His whole his whole uh, take on this character. I love Patrick Warburton. Yeah. I I think he's great. He is just awful in this movie, unfortunately. But I, I think one of the problems that this movie does is it introduces the men in black as like. You know, we're just like we're just like meeting them on the job, yeah. you know, and and I think that it would have been better if we walked into them the way that the people of New York are introduced to the men in black, which is like we we like meet like a regular person and then the men in black show up to like fix a situation. Yes. And then it's like, oh, it's Will. Sp- oh, Jay's back. And like, oh, he's got a new partner. And like, I think that would have been better than having them just walk up to a weed in the sidewalk and yell at it. Yeah. Um, where we're we're in, on their perspective starting out versus mm-hmm. the perspective of New York because I think sure. I think that I think that causes issues because I it 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 just takes the mystery away from them immediately. I mean, granted, like I I'm sure their logic at the time was that everyone already knows who the Men in Black are. We've already established it in the last movie, but like you know, there's a way to introduce reintroduce characters in a movie, and I don't think that this is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. 
to hop back to Jeff for a quick second. Mm-hmm. Uh, his design was inspired by an anglerfish. So going back to nature again. Yeah. Uh, and a quick note, Eric Breivig from Men in Black and Wild Wild West wasn't able to come back. He was working on a movie called Pearl Harbor, mm. uh, directed Perfect. by Michael Bay. So the special effects in this movie were done by David Nakabayashi. Uh, and if you uh, just want to look up David Nakabayashi, he has done everything. He has worked on everything. He works for ILM, super impressive resume. But yeah, so uh, there's like a quite a significant amount more CG in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are still some puppets, but yeah, like Jeff the Worm is kind of like a big CG creature early on. And and uh, Jay like riding it through the subway is uh, it doesn't look great. It has not held up. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. It gets super it slapsticky. Well. This entire sequence is extremely slapstick, and uh, and it just keeps getting more slapstick. And I think that's along. why I don't. I mean, granted, once the scene finally ends and he's during the whole neuralizing speech, that's to me yeah. that's that's what I find hilarious. It's not mm-hmm. it's not him bumping his head on the subway thing like mm-hmm. from the movie speed or you know whatnot which should kill a person right. but uh yeah <laughs> it's just and i totally agree with you scott about like just following the men in black knowing that if you're following those characters you know they're going to go talk to an alien it's going to lead to an interaction but when you follow just humans that end up like provoking the men in black to show up then it's a little bit more like oh where's it going and then they show up it's a little bit more like this just feels like they're handing out a subpoena and it's like man right. like, it's rather boring <laughs> i uh, i really like how we still we, we we see jay struggling to keep his empathy mm-hmm. that was kind of his it's his big tool in the first one his big superpower when he's like don't make me do this jeff like he doesn't want to hurt jeff or that he's still he's still trying to be nice to people after he neuralizes them but you can tell his patience is wearing a little bit thin mm-hmm. like i thought all that stuff was really interesting and i'm like i i it was Will Smith was giving like an interesting performance. It wasn't just Jay again. We were seeing the the years. Yeah, yeah, I did. I really do like that. I just think that the neural the neuralization is such a perfect tool to switch perspectives from New Yorkers to the Men in Black because it's like, oh, we're following this New Yorker. Uh, like they, you know, went to a hot dog stand and the hot dog's an alien. Oh, no. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what what's going to happen? The men in black show up, neuralize, and now we're with the men in black. You know, it's like it, it's like a perfect transition. And the fact that they didn't use it, um, I don't know. It just feels like a missed opportunity uh, because, yeah, starting off with just following the men in black just feels like a mistake to me. And then on top of that, you know, the movie's 88 minutes long. Uh, and so oh, yeah 88 minutes at 140 million dollars so minute per minute it, at the time it was the most expensive live action movie ever made yeah that's insane yeah yeah 88 minutes um there are toy story movies that are longer than this movie um it is extremely short uh <laughs> in and out um we are introduced to johnny knoxville uh with his two heads his two johnny knoxville heads mm-hmm. Um, and uh, find out that he's going to be working with uh, Serlina for the rest of the movie as her henchman. Now, we didn't have, Edgar didn't have a henchman, so this is a new dynamic mm-hmm. to a certain extent. But I think as a result of this dynamic, we don't really get to know either of them particularly nope. well. Um, whereas like Edgar, we sort of like got to know, like he had little idiosyncrasies, and he didn't like it when you stepped on bugs, and... You know, there were, there were, I, I could describe those characters. I can't describe either one of them, um, either Johnny Knoxville or Serlina. I can't really describe them as characters mm-hmm. outside of 
you know what they look like and what their powers are mm-hmm. that's that's really yeah. all i can say about them um which is unfortunate i think yeah i wish i wish we definitely would have gotten more serlina um especially like even by the third act it's like when you do get more time of her she's already in like the giant worm form or like monster form and then even when she's at uh mib like the the headquarters um when it's not johnny knoxville it's the other guy with the trench coat which we'll get into but you know yeah a lot of, a lot of thunder stolen <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, in retrospect, it's a very uh, it, it it's not a very so little is asked of Lara Flynn Boyle compared to Vincent D'Onofrio, mm-hmm. where he was able to create this big physical memorable character, and all of Lara Flynn Boyle's big moments are like prosthetic based mm-hmm. or like CG based. She doesn't really get to do anything fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I don't blame her at all. I blame the script for sure. Yes, just the um, villain for because... villain's sake. Yeah. And even Johnny Knoxville too. Like I love Johnny Knoxville. I love Jackass, but he isn't he his thing is like you're the funny guy. You're the funny sidekick. And like that's so he, he, I don't know. Like I wanted someone to like give him something to do. Like even the other head doesn't really even have a personality. They're both of both versions of them are kind of the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're both they you're you're a funny sidekick with a funny sidekick it's also played thing. by you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and Nate was like, "Sign me up. It's two Johnny Knoxvilles." <laughs> I mean, yeah, but like it's the same it's the same thing. I don't know. And he's trying to be like the funny comic relief-esque type character amongst mm-hmm. an ocean of other funny characters that they're trying to sprinkle in this movie where it's like, <laughs> "Oh, well, here's a funny part. Oh, Yo, you're supposed to laugh at that. Oh, well, then laugh at this guy. Look at these two 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 knucklehead henchmen guys. Laugh at those guys too." It's like, "Whoa, hang on." That's a good point. Uh, yeah, you know, when you remember when you think about the worms and Frank and mm-hmm. G, like they they visited them while doing something. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, we need to see Frank because we need this. But in this movie, they're just always cutting back and forth between them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then yeah, when you get to Johnny Knoxville, you're like, oh my gosh, it's just, all just another guy, just another wisecracking. Yeah, and effect. I mean, if, even if you wanted to, it's just like another per- person on the roster. Just like, all right, we got that. <laughs> just check, another check New it York off. alien. A just a body. just yeah. just a minor plus up. It should have been Johnny Knoxville, and his little head should have been Steve-O. or like Chris <laughs> Pontius or something. Like yeah, that would have been yeah. great. Easy. Just, yeah, Easy yeah, should have been Easy someone. Fixes. It should have like played more into like a Abbott Costello type. Uh, or we could have done like a, a generational thing. It could have been Johnny Knoxville and his his other head, Tom Green. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, should have um, been someone else. Yeah, so so uh, uh, Jay neuralizes T. T knows it's coming. Mm-hmm. He has a reputation at this point, right? He has a reputation, um, and uh, T starts bawling at his uh, this UFO diner that uh, that Jay takes all of his victims mm-hmm. designed by Bo Welch. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a cool diner. It's I nice. wish it really existed so I could go to it because it's dope. Um, but uh, yeah, and then but you know going back to the empathy thing. He does neuralize him, and then he's like, "You should just be like happy and get married." And hey, he he he's too shy to say anything, but he really likes you. He he's like becoming K, but there's still parts of J in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's it's really good. But yeah, we just learned that like no partner's good enough. No partner's good enough for good old J. He yeah. He 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 misses his buddy. And Nathan was right on the money earlier when he when he not much has been changed in Men in Black headquarters in the sequel. Uh, they redesigned the desks. They decided to upgrade the desks, but everything else, uh, Bo Welch and uh, the special effects team said, like these people wouldn't change a lot. They've been around since the fifties. They they wouldn't. So what they did was uh, they literally went deeper. 
he's like they're underground so all of these hangers and stuff would just be further underground uh they added like a sprint store and a burger king uh <laughs> the uh, bo welch said that the men in black headquarters was inspired by an airport terminal so they were like oh they, maybe the grant money isn't enough anymore they've had to like buy make deals with these corporations to franchise out stores so there's something kind of funny about it to me and like a little twinge of like but yeah it is it is like shameless amount of product placement. but it does it does cause a lot of questions in terms of like <laughs> yeah, who burger. who works there does burger bit like burger king knows about the men in black wow. headquarters that's, that's, like they like do they get in. neuralized yeah. every day when they leave like do they learn about the existence of aliens every morning they come to work and then get mm-hmm. neuralized on their way out yeah. the door when yeah they clock out, they get neuralized and they don't yeah. know i kind of I kind of like Nathan's idea that it's aliens. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Zed sure. Zed mentions that they're working on an, to Michael Jackson that they're working on an alien outreach program. Right? Yeah, right. So uh, alien affirmative action. Alien yeah. Affirm- yeah. So the idea of hey, if you can work for us and like yeah. earn your citizenship if you work at the Burger King. It's a college terminal. program for Disney employees, but it's aliens working at. And that Burger makes King. a little bit more sense for what Frank was doing in becoming an agent rather than just being like an informant turned agent. But I don't know how police work stops <laughs> with these things. That's, okay. That's how Zootopia works. It brings a whole, <laughs> a whole new meaning to aliens taking our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to go with Zootopia rules on this one. Yeah. Yeah. We're instituting Zootopia rules. Jay is an agent. <laughs> Um, so we move on we go to a pizza place good old New York uh, pizza place where we meet uh, Laura Vasquez played by Rosario Dawson this is very early in her career she is 21 years old when she filmed this basically a baby you mentioned the year after her seminal work in Josie and the Pussycats yes yes Mm -hmm. yeah she had done Josie and the Pussycats the previous year um, and then this is what she did next and it really does go to show you how quickly her star rose it like happened over the course of like three years and it was like everyone knew who rosario dawson was like it was crazy um yeah because like alexander was when that was the year after was that like 2003 i think so i never saw alexander yeah but like that's the first time that i remember being like oh okay so she's like a movie star now because then she was like in stuff all the time um clerks do yeah, Clerks too, obviously. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, probably a future miniseries. Uh, the oh uh, god, the Viewers Universe, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. the Viewers Universe. Yeah, and then sure. she was also in Shattered Glass with uh, Hayden Christensen. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. Um. So yeah. So then, uh, because Jay keeps frying his partners, he gets stuck with a dog, um, which is Frank, who now works for the MIB. Uh, Scott made a good point that uh, I hadn't thought about this in a long, long time, but the uh, Frank singing I Will Survive was like heavily in a lot of the trailers yes. for the movie. That Oh, yeah, summer. 100%. It's like I, that's where I feel like most of my memory of that song comes from is the dog <laughs> singing. Like, yeah. now, is Jay Fry and all his partners like due to just is that a Jay problem? It's a it's a Jay problem. He's taking matters into his own hands. It's yeah? okay. um, he's he's just neuralizing. I think All he's. Partners, I think he's subconsciously saving them. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, because so I think still, he's like, realizing empathy. that they can't handle it. Yeah. He's like, you yeah. don't want no part of this. This <laughs> ruins still an empathetic your... character. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah. And then okay. Because we have this uh, scene where he takes Laura out to to pie again. He thinks to neuralize her, and he's like, yeah, like no one knows that I'm. I've saved this planet so many times, but like 
no one's going to know who I am. I don't even have a name anymore. And that's like starting to wear on him. Mm -hmm. That's why he doesn't neuralize Rosario Dawson. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Important plot point. That's true. And we get the who let the dogs out scene. Right. Mm. Yeah. Frank singing who let the dogs out. Thanks, Barry Fanero. Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, And then we learned that uh, Kay was the one who was first involved with all of these. Light of Zartha. Yeah. Oh, yes. Selena. Selena's after something called the Light of Zartha. The men in black is like, we, we don't have it. We're space Switzerland. We, we sent it off of Earth. And Selena's like, you're freaking lying. And so she's after the light. Yeah, it's um, so. So here's here's the thing. So we are now we meet Kay at the post office and oh, we, we pause the movie. 26 yeah, 26 minutes in 26 minutes into the movie before he shows up. There is only an hour left in the movie. <laughs> um, that's great. So, so Honestly, I think that's perfect. So he's only <laughs> yeah. in the movie for an hour. Tommy Lee Jones, and and he's only K R K for forty minutes because there's forty minutes left in the movie when he finally gets deneuralized and and returns. I my plus up for this, mm-hmm. like if we're like you want to get him in earlier, why are the MIB okay? So you establish that uh, as we go along, right? He brings in K. You know he his wife bro- divorced him because. Um, he's like a bummer to be around because he's, <laughs> he's Tommy Lee Jones. He's Tommy Lee Jones, and he's like constantly like thinking about the stars and all these things. Comes with the territory. Um, it's yeah, being Why are you always staring wistfully at the stars, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> MIB, you, you, yeah, we you learned that his name is into. Kevin. <laughs> um, MIB uh is just like in his blood at this point. He can't get rid of it. He can't shake it. Uh, and so all they can do, the best thing they could do for him is is uh, deneuralize him. And so they go to deneuralize him. Uh, Serlina breaks into MIB headquarters. They have to get flushed, which is one of the stupidest sequences yeah. I've ever seen. <clears throat> uh, just what a dumb idea that was. One of my favorite. So Enzo and I, are, we, are we talking about the hypothetical or the real movie? No, no, no. This is this is the real movie. I'm I'm getting to my hypothetical, oh, okay. but um, but anyway, so so uh, you know, so then they realize that like, oh, we can get another deneuralization. We don't have to use the official one. We can get like we can find somebody who like threw something together by uh, using instructions on the internet, and so. There's like this makeshift neuralizer that they end up using anyway. So we don't need the men in black to be the ones to deneuralize K. That's the thing. And so my plus up is that Serlina finds out that K like is, is on the hunt for K because she knows that he knows where the light is. And so she finds K and deneuralizes him 15 minutes into the movie, 10 minutes into the movie. And then it's about the men in black trying to get back with K while K is K full blown K, but is not a men in black. And then like, we're waiting for him to get the suit back on because of course we are, but he's still the K that we met and know from the last movie, 20 minutes into the movie, um, rather than an hour and like, like I, I like, uh, an hour and 15 minutes in before he's finally the K we all know. Um, and so like, I just think it's a, it's, it's a ridiculous, it just feels like they're really, I mean, like dragging their feet on turning him back to the K that Mm -hmm. we remember when the movie's only 88 minutes long, which I just think is insane. I think it was an insane choice to do it the way that they did. I think, I don't know. What do you think? They play it out because it's funny. Like, I guess like they're like, it's like, Oh, it's funny that he's, I don't know what you're talking about, son. And it's like they just play that for an extra twenty minutes, and then they go, "Okay, well now we need K because we need to finish this movie." 
Uh, so, you know, snap out of it. But mm, yeah. I, I, they get like humor out of like the reverse of like now this time we get Tommy Lee Jones being the fish out of yes. water. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we get moments like the deneuralizer that this this and this that's gonna oh, that's cool what's this thing do yeah the see, deneuralizer. <laughs> that's like, yeah that's how yeah. i always thought about well, it but i do like the idea like serlina is the one to to bring him back because she 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 knows who he is right and she knows right. she needs that information well you're no use to me if you're kevin uh so i need you to give me the information that i that right. i want so yeah yeah, I think a villain who is more entwined with the Men in Black um, is an interesting would be an interesting choice for the sequel, and I think would be an interesting NK if you because we get that flashback where it's like you killed the girl that I was in, you know, yeah, ha- have them having like an old rivalry, right? Yeah, absolutely, because yeah. that's because that's the thing too is like K doesn't have much of a story in this because he's not K for most of it, mm-hmm. so like his character arc is rendered irrelevant by the fact that we don't even get to meet the real guy again until an hour and 15 minutes into the movie you know yeah whereas like will smith gets a full arc right but he could do that regardless as long as k's not around like stealing the thunder you know Mm -hmm. so you just do you do two threads and then you're just waiting for them to get back together again Mm -hmm. you know i guess this goes back to like i I, what it is is they just wanted Will Smith and and Tommy Lee Jones to just keep doing their thing together, which I guess is like similar to someone watching Wonder Woman just being like, "I'm just here to see Chris Pine and Gal Gadot bounce off each That's other." That's true, right? No matter what it takes. <laughs> another, yeah, another a, a very a very similar. That is a that is an extremely apt comparison. Yeah, yes. like do the ends justify the means? <laughs> right? Yeah, it is a Absolutely. good question. I don't know if I have an answer to that one because I yeah. if someone was like, "Hey, you want to watch?" Any Wonder Woman at any time, it's an obvious yes, because I, their energy makes sure. both movies time and time again. Yeah. Some fun stuff about the post office. Yeah. Uh, interior mm. was all stage. There's a, a, a moment where a small girl wants to buy some stamps from Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, that girl is played by Chloe Elizabeth Ringo Sonnenfeld, Barry Sonnenfeld's daughter. Oh, okay. Okay, that explains that. I thought that stamps. was a really weird scene. So that <laughs> explains why that's there. And interestingly, Barry Sonnenfeld himself makes a cameo mm-hmm. as a man sitting on a couch with his family with his not daughter. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted a bigger part. She wanted yeah. a bigger part. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we uh, the the uh, to help snap K out of it. Will Smith reveals that uh, his post office is filled with sleeper aliens mm-hmm. that are there to like protect Kay. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, he, he has a lot of sensitive information, like Scott mentioned in his rewrite, like aliens would want to go looking for Kay, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. even though he's been deneuralized. Yeah. And what a great bunch of aliens it is. We have Biz Marquis. Yeah. Uh, legendary rapper Biz yeah. Marquis. That the beatboxing alien? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I remember that being nice. the, one of the biggest parts of the movie. Was just, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Biz Marquis in there. And Biz Marquis. I'm about it. This scene is one of my favorite scenes. Like, say what you will about the movie, but it's like, it's iconic, this scene. I feel like in, it's, in the just, franchise. Men in Black does a good thing with these like revealing of ordinary things being out of the ordinary. The guy, and I think it still carries over from the first one. That in, The first one was incredible with it. But this one still is, it hits a little bit less and, you know, more obvious. But especially when like uh, Kay walks out of the diner after the, de- or whatever, after the denuralization and it starts to realizing it on his own. I think it's just good that it still keeps that fantastical element of, uh, 
I hate to say this, but not what meets the eye, you know? Yeah. It, it kind of rides that line between like what as a kid you find so cool about this world is like if you look hard enough yeah. right under your eyes, those things that you think are weird about the world, yeah. it's aliens. So they're right under your nose. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, there's a line about the, um, about how most people who work at the post office are aliens uh, because, you know, you wouldn't be able to do that much work uh, unless you were. Um, and uh, which I don't know if that's a compliment or like underserving our actual <laughs> American Postal Service. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, I do like later in the movie, in the scene that, that Nathan was uh, referencing, when uh, he's looking around and seeing all the aliens outside in New York, one of them is a mailman who uh, has an alien tail. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, yeah, because yeah. most postal mm-hmm. workers are aliens. That's good. I like that. Uh, the, the beatboxing was inspired by Barry Sonnenfeld watching Will Smith beatbox on the set to pass the time. I uh, just thought it was neat. And then Will Smith <laughs> and Bismarck, here tight. Uh, <laughs> what, what's that you're so, doing, Will? Do that one more time. <laughs> And uh, for both Biz and Will, there is no post production, no like digital. That that's just all them performing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I guy, the the guy that is an eye. That maquette was sculpted by Bud McGrew. The little eye blink is CG, but the thing is like an actual woman. Nice. Oh, nice. God, I love I love combo practical with CG. Yes. I mm-hmm. love I love that. Yeah. It always looks so good. And this whole post office thing is kind of a combo. It's kind of a gumbo of just like full masks prosthetics even cg split guy the guy that has like the top off of his body is on the ground mm-hmm. uh that guy is played by john andrew barton jr from ilm he's ilm's visual effects supervisor of, on the oh, movie cool and that was him providing like his body nice the guy that scott mentioned looked like joey ramone the guy with the big old wig mm-hmm. is played by none other than doug jones really uh, wow ape sapien from hellboy the big sexy fish man from Shape of Water. Was was he anywhere <laughs> in the first movie, or Star was Trek this Discovery. the first Men in Black he was in? Star Trek Discovery. I don't remember. Yeah, Joe, yeah, I don't remember hearing about him being in the first one. Okay, interesting. Huh. And right. then uh, the Sorting Alien, the one with the really fast arms, is played by Jeremy Howard. The eyes are designed by Rick Baker. The arms, the fast moving arms, are designed by Phil Tippett Studios. Phil Tippett. Yeah. Nice man. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, like yeah, it's just like it's kind of like the franchise at its best. And it's kind of the yeah. first time that it really feels like men in black but see that to me is is kind of like the charm of men in black that 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 reveal like seeing what was normal and then yeah absolutely if if scott's talking about like oh we have a scene where the point of view is from average humans and then the men in black show up this whole time we're in this thing and you know it's between jay and and kevin and then you're in this post office but you're so concerned about them that that when they have this reveal about all the post workers you're like oh they are all aliens in this room and then the the music comes in, and um, that's what feels like Men in Black. Yeah, to me. that's Men in Black. That's what it is. Imagine if the opening scene of this movie was just Kay at the post office, like closing down the post office, mm-hmm. and then uh, Serlina's ship lands, and she comes in, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, Miss, we're closed," you know, and then like the other aliens like all started to come out of their disguises to protect Kay, okay. yeah. like to protect Kay. And then she like, you know, ices them and then like looms over him. And then we cut to like, you know, dun, Jay dun, in dun, New dun, York. Dun. Yeah. 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 Cause you're right. The, the, the pizza man gets split in half and his skin falls to the ground. And like, you don't care. Like, no. he, I, I, all I could think about was like, well, he really cared about that sign. That's yeah. he was, he loved that sign. Yeah. And that's all he could talk about. <laughs> 
I don't know. But yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, just like because you 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 remember every alien in this post office. They're all so great and lovable, and watching them like yeah, you care if you cared about them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So K go or Kevin goes with Jay to MIB headquarters. Um, we get a bunch of scenes of him in the Will Smith role from the previous film where uh, Jay is is recruiting him, sort of, kind of, and keeps like flubbing his lines um in in various ways uh and just doing a bunch of like a series of callbacks it's just yeah. a series of callbacks uh there's a moment where he similar to the bouncing ball k puts his finger on a little but like a ball or a yeah a, a ocean dish. ball thing yeah 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 and it's like a civilization which, which is so crazy okay so the civilization thing there this happens twice in this movie well it's a it's, it's a reoccurring motif in the series and something they talk about in the book which is scale yeah like your our perception is based on our size right humans think we're the center but we're bigger and smaller so like there's a there's a whole civilization that k just changes forever because he like dips his finger into the thing right but like you know we did that in the last movie with the galaxy marble Mm -hmm. right and then in this movie they do it twice Mm -hmm. and then and then try to redo the galaxy marble joke from the end, like the gag at the end of the last movie, they mm-hmm. redo that at the end here with the locker, and so it just it 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 just feels yeah like a, like a like a greatest hits kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it's like guys, you had one album, you can't do a greatest hits yet. <laughs> and the uh, oh, and the alien that screams out "All is lost, all is lost" is voiced by director Barry Sonnenfeld. Oh, nice, that's great. So yeah, so they try to do the denuralization. They have to get flushed and sit stead. The flushing is silly. I will say one of my fav- one of my few like genuine laugh out loud moments last night was after they get flushed, and Will Smith goes on that was like, yeah, I remember all the time you used to get so you used to say flush me, Jay, flush me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just and that one I like that joke because it's I don't I it doesn't mean anything like that's what my the funniest thing about it. It's just so absurd. <laughs> I yeah I do really like that joke. That's true. Um. So then they uh, they find out that uh, our 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 old friend Jeebs has a makeshift neuralizer mm-hmm. in his pawn shop. Yeah, this is an exterior shot on the Lower East Side, and uh, the interior is again a stage in, Manha- in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So you see that Jeebs' face is even more jacked up than the first one. Yeah, uh, that's a joke from Rick Baker. He thought it would be funny if like every time Jeebs' face grows back, it grows back like a little more effed up, messed yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that that. I don't know that quite plays. Uh, like I, I think that's a that's a that's a fun uh, little inside baseball thing. But I don't. You know, the average viewer would notice that yeah. he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> just so like sure. a physical um, change. It's like, are you sure you should be making that a joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no, it counts every time. It counts every yeah. time he loses a head. <laughs> this whole Jeeb sequence is a lot. Um, and I am not, I'm not into it. Like, I just don't, I don't think any of it is funny or good. I don't know. Um, I like the way his pawn shop looks. I, the denuralization, uh, machine just being like this. Just, yeah. Rube yeah, Goldberg just, thing. Yeah. Rube <laughs> Goldberg just thrown together Super thing. Sketch. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, you know, I like that it. It it is sketch, but it's like sketch in a silly way as opposed to like what I'd actually want where it's like, that thing looks dangerous. Don't sit yeah. in that, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like, Scott, what you were saying, if if Serlina was like going out and especially aliens on Earth being this like central hub or safe haven or whatever, would know of this criminal alien person that's, you know, bad news. And mm-hmm. 
the fact that like the men in black would know of Jeebs having a denuralization machine, wouldn't that kind of be like, maybe you shouldn't have that or confiscate or something. But if the villain is going through the criminal underground as well as everybody's fearing her and someone saying like, yeah, you can get this. This person has this yada, yada, yada. Yeah. It seems Not like even that's the men in more, black know this. Yeah. Right. It seems like that's like right now what's happening is more of the underground work, the dirtier work. Yes, we know Kay like still knows and has a way around it, but it seems like it should be more of the bad guy's perspective and not... Yeah. Or like you said, yeah. on the job right now with Men in Black, it really does feel like OJT. And it's just like, okay. Yeah, because it, it's yeah. like you're telling <laughs> Jeff he's got to relocate, but mm-hmm. then Jeeves has has this and you're not taking care yeah. of that. And, and you're not... And like he's just allowed to have yeah. that? Okay. And Jeff did nothing mm-hmm. wrong. Jeff's just hanging out. He's living no. his life. Yeah. He was provoked. He's eating stuff he shouldn't be eating, though. Man. <laughs> you put a goldfish in a bowl, it won't grow any bigger or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's like the bigger you make the world, the more questions like this. And all of a sudden, the men in black stop becoming this like super tight oiled machine that they were in the first movie. Right. Um, one thing we didn't mention is that Serlina has a gang now. She gets a gang of aliens together to go after uh, J&K. They're the Patsies. Um, They're some kind of. I don't. So, so they they show up at Jeebs' place um, after Kay gets denuralized, which is the weakest shit. Um, I'll be honest. The denuralization is weak shit. When I saw that, which, both of them. Uh, I yeah. Well, so like the first one, like we don't get to see anything, right? Because right. it doesn't happen. They get flushed, right? They get flushed instead. In this one, it's just weak shit because it's like, what's even happening? Like it just looks like he's getting shook around and then knocked back and then thrown through a wall. Yeah. you know. And it's like we don't ever get to see the actual. There's not the satisfying like flash that we get with yeah. the neuralizer. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's a whole thing that make yeah yeah. But this is just like he gets shook around and then. <laughs> You know, and he's biting on a on a bit, and like that's that's mm, it. Some that's mechanical thing. things. There's a bowling ball going down a rail, or so. it's like <laughs> yeah. that's it. That's I guess. Yeah. I guess it works. And, and then we get the moment where we mentioned earlier, where he runs outside and kind of has his moment of his epiphany. Yeah. And I just want to say, for what it's worth, uh, Tommy Lee Jones staring up at the night sky, he is able to tell so much in his eyes, mm-hmm. and is able to convey such like warmth yes. and comfort and. Yeah, I don't know. He's really good in this one. They're, they yeah. both are. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody's really good. Like they're. I. I don't think there's a weak link anywhere. The the wink are on screen. The like the 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 weapons look good. You know mm-hmm. the sets look great. All the acting is is spot on. Like everyone's bringing it. The the problem is just that like guys, you weren't ready to shoot this yet. Yeah. The script isn't good enough. And uh, if I could, uh, so it's you bring that up. So principal photography began in June of two thousand and one. And uh, an actor strike apparently was looming at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it actually ever came to pass, but this movie was under constant scrutiny. And Barry Sonnenfeld was faced with constant questions and notes and pressure from the studios because this was a much more expensive movie than the first one. There were the expectations of it being the sequel to this huge hit. Sonnenfeld has called this one of the most stressful times of his life. Once during filming, he asked to be taken to the hospital because he thought he was having a heart attack. Oh, wow. Afterwards, he was told by his doctor that he said he had never seen anyone more stressed in his life. Oh, my God. Wow. For 88 minutes and all for 88 minutes. <sighs> was this one of the last movies shot in New York before 9-11? Didn't mention if it was the last one. 
But the finale of this was originally set on the roof of the World Trade Center. Oh. And uh, was changed into just like the nondescript rooftop that it is in, yeah. the, in the final movie. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Wow. Yikes. Okay. So uh, Kay gets his memories back. He's Kay again. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, now we start getting, we start dipping into stuff that is like, uh, basically takes the movie from like kind of mediocre to like, rough territory um and i'm talking old men on wires that's what i'm talking about oh, um kung fu zed kung, yeah. kung fu zed K- kung fu k yeah. um i you know i guess the idea is like they're they're like talking him up they're like he's the best mib agent we ever had um you know he's he's the best k is a legend you know yada yada and i guess they just thought like oh yeah he should like know kung fu and be able to like fight these aliens but like we never saw him do anything like that in the previous movies. They're like it all feels very cartoony and like kind of the, yeah. again, like the weightlessness where yeah. like they're hanging on the elevators and Kay's able to like hang on his legs and shoot upside down. But yeah, it, it 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 doesn't feel real. It feels almost like a spoof kind of movie. Right. It's like a like a Naked Gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a real like Les. Like at, at that point, it's like you're just turning you're turning um uh uh t- Tommy Lee Jones into Leslie Nielsen. Like that's what this is, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. So he like, he beats the shit out of a bunch of, a bunch of aliens with wire work, and then Zed also like kicks Lara Flynn Boyle in the face a bunch of times up in the air. Selena overtakes Men in Black like her ribs yeah. come out. Yeah, does like a I don't Luke know guys. bicycle kick. Like... Yeah, the Liu Kang bicycle <laughs> kick. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's rough, guys. I I really hate all the wire work in this. I think it's uh, bad. Just just straight up bad, real bad. Um, it's odd that you would say like K is supposed to be like apex MIB agent, and and for some reason fighting goes along with that. I always took him as to be like the greatest like negotiator or something right. like someone that like would be like the liaison of earth to the other alien races like mm-hmm. they get yeah. here if there's some problem you send agent k to talk them down kind of thing right that's yeah. what i always got k as and then because of the opening scene of men in black with yes. the with the illegal <laughs> with the illegal aliens you yeah, know and the way he treated them him. and how how like kind and empathetic he was to them you like, know yeah and and he just again the first one he just knows his stuff and right he, yeah. like you said like he could be a really great diplomat and that kind of fits with the mo of the men in black we get in the first movie mm-hmm. where they're like they're immigrants here that need someone to look after them and some kind of bureaucracy we don't answer to a government but our job is just making sure that these people aren't like freaking exploded or yeah. like abused or in any way right or don't they don't hurt the planet either right yeah right. That is one aspect of this movie that I do really, really like, and I do think was very well written um, for the most part, uh, is uh, how knowledgeable Jay is at this point. He's like seasoned and he can like spout off codes and all this kinds of stuff. He's noticing problems after the fact, like while he's like, he's like, oh, my tranks didn't work when I was taking out Jeff. We need new tranks. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's just like a lot of that. But then. He gets like befuddled a lot too because like that's Jay's vibe, and so like it kind of undercuts a lot of it. The movie, I think, throughout it's it. like he's still supposed to be like the, I guess, rookie type character that we did see in the first one, uh, right? More slapstick, less rookie, but still walking that line. But mm-hmm. then again, mixed with like the seasoned Jay that he's had multiple partners, where it's just mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It's it's a little confusing. You're right, Nick. Yeah, uh, I find that he takes a step back after K gets denuralized. Yes, he kind of. Yeah, he starts being like, "Let's go in there. Let's shoot him up. Let's bang bang." I'm like, "I don't. Are you still this guy?" Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess this is also a good a good time if we're talking about uh, 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 changes in Jay's character. Um, I want to. I I forgot to bring this up in the last episode, but that outfit that uh, Jay is wearing at the end of the previous film, mm-hmm. um, which is not uh nice. standard issue men in black yeah. uh, suit um it, you know he's back to the standard issue here and uh i i i i just think that it makes the end of men in black just like even look even worse because it's like it's like oh, okay so like w- you were just trying something one day i guess and then and then, that off yeah and zed immediately was like no what did I say about the suit? It's the last suit you'll ever wear. <laughs> you don't get to wear another suit. <laughs> Take that off, you idiot. Um, cause yeah, I, I will say like, if you're, if your whole point of the men in black is that they're supposed to be like invisible and like, you're not supposed to notice them. You can't throw them in like whatever. What was that? An Armani suit that he was wearing in the, in yeah. the last at the end of that movie. Um, the with the collar tie and all of that. Um, that was a lot. <laughs> so after the after the wire work fight, mm-hmm. Jay and Kay go back out into the street, and Jay's like, "Glad to have you back, Kay." And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "So, what can you tell me about what's going on with the light?" And he's like, "I don't know. I don't remember." And they're like, "What do you mean you don't remember?" Like you just got deneuralized. He's like, yeah, but I must have neuralized myself so that I wouldn't remember. And so apparently deneuralization works in layers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't, you can only get deneuralized like one layer back, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you would think it would just be like an everything, everything. Yeah. Like you get everything. And for back. a movie that's like 88 yeah. minutes long, it's like, okay, so what, what now has to be done? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like you're telling me we're still running in places yeah. in a movie that's like shorter than the first one, which is was yeah. two hours to begin with. Right. Yeah. It was it was like ninety six minutes, I think, the last one. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um but it, it felt more like fleshed out than this one does. Sure. Yeah. Um, and and like so if Serlina were to play a bigger role, because the more I think about it, the more I think how every scene has like these Star Trek looking aliens coming in and mm-hmm. like they're having their moments and it's there's so many aliens in this movie, like so many alien mm-hmm. bad guys. Um, whereas the first one just had guys, like yeah. uh, Vincent and uh, yeah, and it's just Mikey, just like so little Serlina, just to do like she shows up, she looks pretty for the camera for like a couple seconds, and really it's like just the one moment where she does the tongue thing, which I'm sure you'll get to, but it's like just do that, get the information that way somehow and like just call it a day (laughs) right yeah giving that way giving that moment purpose instead of just being like a weird yeah like awkward cringe moment yeah Yeah. right just absolutely um alien so we find out that the light is going to self-destruct at midnight uh which basically means the destruction of earth so yeah okay so they say that the light can't be on earth for more than 24 hours Mm -hmm. but if the light is rosario dawson She's been on Earth for like twenty years, right? What can't what what what's changing about the time limit now? Why is there a time limit now? She's turning twenty one. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, you <laughs> don't know. I don't. At the time, you're like, oh, it's it's a bomb or it's another it's another light of Orion. So okay, that makes sense. But then after the fact, you're like, wait, it was a person. Is it is it is it kicking off because Serlina is on the planet? 
Oh, did that like start like some kind of timer? Yeah, start okay. some sort of timer where it's like it's 24 hours from when Serlina lands on the planet. Is that how it works? Yeah. As a self-protection? Because I only remember I only remember the night that she lands, the day that he goes and gets K, and then the night. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's about 24 Lane. hours. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so maybe that's what it is. Okay. Okay. Cool. I don't I don't th- Either way, we had to parse that out. That w- it was not clear. No, right? um, which is which is and part like, of the problem. And you barely notice it watching the movie because, like, the movie very much wants you to just be like, "Look, they're it's J- K and J. Look, it's Frank the Pug. Look, it's the Worm guys. <laughs> yeah, look, it's Frank uh, the Pug. <laughs> a little bit, little bit on Frank the Pug. Frank was played by so- somewhere between six to eight different pugs. Oh, yeah, but a pug <laughs> named Mushu was used for ninety percent of the shots. That's cute, especially the close-up shots. Barry was constantly looking for different stuff for Mushu to do. At one point, Barry wanted Mushu to have a real cigar hanging from its mouth, but the animal handler said no, so the cigar was CG. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, yeah. Can we get a real c- cigar a- for this dog? That might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie, is is him hanging out with the worms. Just feeling with like the cigar a big man. In his mouth. Yeah, feeling like a big man. Which, yeah, again, bringing up the, the attraction at Universal. Gift shop full of Frank the Pug. Everything is Frank yeah. the Pug. Hell yeah. A little bit about the worm guys. The worm guys are, are in this movie a lot more. Yeah. Um, they get to suit up. They get to like. <laughs> yeah. They get like get, bandoliers. They yeah. They purpose. get like huge guns and everything. <laughs> but the worm guys were in both movies performed by puppeteers. And a big part of that reason when they were developing it, Rick Baker came to Barry Sonnenfeld and says, hey, I've been developing these concepts with my guys. I think you want puppets. Don't do these CG. Because I'm going to hire like performers, like puppeteers that are actors. You're going to want these guys like bouncing back and forth and improvising off the actors and off of each other. Mm-hmm. And that little note, I think, is why the worms work so much better than like other Johnny Knoxville had. Mm-hmm. Because like no one's really reacting to him or like because he's not there. He's right. CG. Yeah. But the the worms they're able to like reply or like improv responses and they just feel like they're in the room with Rosario Dawson and the other actors. Yeah. So I don't yeah. like, yeah, I think they work pretty, uh, pretty well in this. One. I, I like yeah. them. I like, when I like them in, in the whole, the whole franchise of it. I think the I think the worms are charismatic enough, you know, like mm-hmm. I, they're one of the best parts of this movie for sure. Like their, their apartment rules. Yeah. Uh, them playing Twister rules. It's just funny. Yeah. It's, I, I just enjoy seeing them. It would still be after, like, how, I guess, somewhat popular they became more from the cartoon series, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, give them true. a bigger part. Which I, I was thinking yeah. about, like, I don't think it would have a big impact on this one because the animated series came out in 97 as well, or it, it's, mm-hmm. it started. So I don't know if, if any of the success of the animated series influenced the action of the of this one right like hey the worms were popular on this tv show as well but it was a yeah sure it was a popular tv sure. show every all those cartoons that they had at that time the men in black the godzilla one um they were they were pretty successful i mean it might have something to do with why they're in this so much in the same way that like you know slimer is in ghostbusters 2 a lot because of the cartoon mm-hmm. Um, and they redesigned Slimer to look more like his cartoon counterpart because that's the Slimer that everyone recognizes from the from the cartoon. Yeah. yeah. A brief note on the the bachelor pad the worms belong to. Yeah. Or the, the, the worms live in. <laughs> uh, it was like four and a half feet. Everything was really there. Uh, the custom stools. The stools were custom. The couch were custom. Uh, the bar that they have 
uh, all the little bottles are airplane mini bottles of liquor. That's awesome. Oh. That is so cool. That's fun. And uh, the filmmaker said that it was a extremely, uh, a, a lot of naps were had on that set because the shag carpet was really comfortable. Oh, I bet. It was a place where people would like sneak off to and just chill out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so J&K are following clues. That's that's what we get. We go, they start at the pizza place. We get the pointing scene where everybody's pointing at some at another guy pointing at another thing when really K is just pointing at a set of keys. And uh, that's that's a fun sequence. I like that. I like I like when Jay is overconfident about knowing a thing where he's like, I know what this is Mm -hmm. and just not doing well. I, you know, even though I think it takes the air out of like how much of like an established professional he is at this point, I do think it's still like a pretty fun scene. Yeah, Um, it's similar to the, the men in black, like testing scene to me, like it's got that same vibe. So I like that. But yeah, so then we go to the train locker. We meet those guys with Locker Town. Locker, locker town, town with the with the uh with the watch, trading out the watch, which is uh, a fun gag, and then and then it ends on a weird note where they're like really into pornography. Well, because they uh <laughs> they they were their Ten Commandments is a uh a, a business card for a video store. Oh yeah. And on the back of the video store there's three rules, and that's what they live their life on. And it's be kind, rewind. Uh, half off on Sunday, half off on Wednesdays, which means give more than you receive on the most holy of days. Uh-huh. And uh, adult adult entertainment in the back. So that takes them to the video store where we get the return of David Cross, who we can't, we don't know if he's playing the same character that he was playing in the first Men in Black. He was never named. He was never named. Well, he was dead in the first Men in Black. Wasn't he killed? He was. Uh, he was stuck up on the wall in some in some goo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's a world where. That event that didn't kill him, he learns of the men in black through that event, which now leads him to becoming a conspiracy theorist here. He opens tapeworm video. Well, no, it had to have already been open. Oh, okay. Yeah, because uh, Kay, like, they're like, it was, you've had a membership for 30 years and you've had a tape on hold that right. whole time. Yeah. This whole David Cross thing, again, it's just like another instance of like, more. More is better, right? Like, he was in the first one. Let's do more. I wish they had gotten Bob Odenkirk. That would have been good. <laughs> that would have been good. That would have been really good. Or at least have him come um, out honestly, from the back with the tape. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> Bob, Bob Odenkirk would be a really good like Men in Black character. Oh, yeah. Like like in the Men in Black. Oh, as like, anybody. Yeah. As, an alien, as an agent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we get this whole thing with him living with his mom. He's a loser. He's got a like kind of like a vaguely goth girlfriend. <laughs> they go to Cambodia. We watched the video again from the beginning of the movie, so I'm really glad that we sat through it for the first for, at the beginning of the movie because we are watching it again all the way through. Yeah, I you know it's uh th- this stuff just feels very wheel spinny to me. I don't know. Rinse and repeat. Yeah, and and it's like it's like guys, if 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 you're struggling to come up with plot for an for a movie that is going to result in an 88 minute feature film. I, I feel like you got you got issues. You got script issues at that point. Because uh, at that point, it's like you're just stretching out a short film, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus uh, making a feature. I don't know. But I guess it made uh, it, it made all the money, right? It made it made what it made. Just, right. Just yeah. on can you blame them. Can you blame them? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like we got sure. we got an 88 minute fun Eighty-eight I, minute I don't know, victory fever lap. dream, I guess. Yeah, eighty-eight <laughs> minute victory lap. That's good. And millionaires got millions. <laughs> it uh, let's see. It came out July third, two thousand and two. 
Let's see. Let's let's. Is look it? Is that? Track. Hopefully, that's going to be like a common theme for franchise for all these <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, just the show in general <laughs> like um, are the millionaires made, still rich yes they are great it, next it made, movie <laughs> it made 441 million so it cost way more than the first one and it made less money yep okay so Dome- domestically i don't know about international i don't know if it made like i don't know if it made it's, we'll figure it out yeah <laughs> we'll we'll get to that uh next week um anyway all of this leads up to uh, a uh, so there's a fight with a with the guy in the cloak, and then he's got little saucer yeah, dudes. Jara, yeah, um, very similar to uh designs from Wild Wild West. Very similar. Jara so- was played by John Alexander, who also played Mikey in Men in Black One. Oh, okay, that's fun. I like that. Yeah. So anyway, they bail. They're in the they're in the car. They hit the red button. We get to see uh, what that looks like outside of a tunnel, and it's like uh they they enter hyperspeed. There's a gag that you really like with the PlayStation controller, Nick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What um, is a Game Boy? <laughs> yeah. What is, yeah. What is a Game Boy? The reoccurring joke of like the 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 spare driver that keeps yeah. popping out. Yeah. I do really like that. Was another heavy hitter in the trailers. I remember the the spare driver. Um, the line about the uh, uh, he 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 was gonna be he was gonna be black, but then it he came with the black tea, but it kept getting pulled over. Yeah, yeah, that joke. Yeah, that was definitely. In the trailer. <laughs> I remember that. Um, so I do really like the car. Once you hit the red button, and the car uh, is like driving over New York, it's like consistently neuralizing people as it goes. I thought that was like a pretty good touch, including like Jaden and Trey Smith. Yep, they were there. Hmm. They were there. They reminded me of uh, reminded me of the two kids in Spider Man Two, the ones that like saw him like do the flip and then be like, "Whoa, how'd you do that?" And he's like, "Oh, eat your vegetables." Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing. Um. Anyway, reminded I me, reminded me of those kids. I don't remember that moment, but of course that moment is in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he like he's like on his little bike, and then the car like rams him, and he flips over the car. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Wow. Um. So it's a. Spider-Man 2 is a good movie. Um, yes. <laughs> two years later. Uh, Jay makes a rock reference, which I thought was interesting considering The Rock is not a movie star at this point, but would be like a Will Smith type movie star. King of Summer. Yeah, very soon after this. Yeah, he was still just The Rock. Yeah, he was just The Rock. He was just a wrestler. What I mean, was not a just reference? The Rock. Yeah, he was a reference. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, a reference in this where, where uh, Jay is like wrestling with like some stuff and he says... What, who's he wrestling with? Uh, is it Serlina? Is it, yeah, it might be Serlina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tentacles he's and, he's mm-hmm. yeah with the tentacles and stuff. And what what does he say? He was like, the, the, oh god, it's so stupid. I'm trying. To yeah, yeah. He was. He, <laughs> Sorry, he, he's just right. like quoting. Do you smell what the J is cooking or something yeah, like that? Yeah, he says. Okay. Yeah, can you smell what the J is cooking or something like that? And then. And then it says one of the rocks moves, like his big famous the people's like, wrestling elbow. move. The people's elbow? Does no, that... no, no. The other one. There's another one. Know. People's elbow, and then there's another one. And that's the one he quotes. The piece, I don't know. I can't think of any other. Yeah, there's another one. I don't know. But anyway. yeah, but that moment that you're talking about is another moment where like, so J, uh, K is just, it, it's like time crisis or something where he's <laughs> yeah. just like shooting at it and he's not really that stressed about it and it just works. Yeah. It's like kind of a normal Oh yeah, he gun. hits all the points on it, like. Right, like right, a like game. like a Star Fox game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we get that. Uh, are they hinting that? that yeah, right. That, yeah. That, that Laura is Tommy Lee Jones's daughter. Yeah, yeah. That's the weirdest part of the movie is that they just 
They're like, yeah, and then uh, the Cole Rise Skywalker with Lando. Yeah, Kay very well, very well have slept with uh, her mother. So is she Kay's daughter? And Kay's just like super chill with like not getting to know her in any way whatsoever, and just sending her in a rocket ship, <laughs> just passing reference after she's already gone. When you guys were talking about, you know, they were writing about like, oh, the. I guess they at some point they wanted to make the whole Zarthan uh, princess story bit like the actual plot of the movie. I don't know if you're saying that they wanted to make that the actual yeah. plot of the movie, but he he had written like another movie in the past where that was the whole movie, and he said, "Hey, I think we can make this a subplot in Men in Black too." Yeah, like, I just think make it the that, whole plot. I <laughs> see, and and the, I I took that away when I saw Men in Black too. That this whole thing like where. Tommy Lee Jones is like, oh yeah, you might be my daughter or something like that. I took that as like, oh, I get the movie now. But really, when I rewatched it, it's like that's that's just that just happens at the end. Um, yeah, and it's it's to me, it should have been the whole movie like that, where as you say, Scott, like Serlina comes for Agent K because of this whole connection that he has with the princess of Zarthan or whatever. Like to me, there's a, there's an actual <laughs> mythological story there, but, uh, yeah, we're like, Oh, you can't denoralize yourself or like you can, you, you thought you, he thought that he could yeah. start in your life, but it's the, the past comes, comes yeah. back to. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and, and also it would go even further into explaining why even after getting neuralized, he's still, yes, there's something keeping him anchoring him to the men in black. And it's, Maybe her daughter. Yeah, you know, he like, neuralized he himself can't to let protect it go his because, daughter. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's like that's the that's the part that's not letting him fully let go. Is that's that, what that's where he goes when he's looking up at the skies. He's like, oh, some part of me is still tethered to the job. I can't let go because right. my daughter's in danger. Right, right, exactly. And so like that's I don't know. There's that's the thing is like I don't even think this movie is that far from being a good men in black movie. yeah it, it, i think yeah. it, it, it it's it's like so close it's it, so like close. if they would have just given them like another draft i feel like they would have got it but the problem with like hollywood cons- consistently just hiring writer after writer after mm-hmm. writer to this revolving door of screenwriters is that everyone is trying to make a different movie mm-hmm. instead of trying to make the same movie you yeah. know mm-hmm. and and trying to make the same movie better and so you end up with just like a bunch of ingredients in something that look like is shaped like a movie, but doesn't really work as one. So maybe um, it shouldn't have gotten another draft. It should have not gotten another draft. Probably. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it maybe, sounds like, but... and it sounds like even if your director is under that much duress because right. of like studio interference and questioning, it, it sounds like there wasn't as much confidence in the process as there was on the first one. Right. And I think it, it comes down to the script. I don't think the script was there. And I think everyone knew it and yeah. had the feeling. And they're like, ooh, we're spending $140 million <laughs> on a movie that does not have a very strong script. That is scary. Needs more Baja uh, men. Yeah, <laughs> needs more Baja men. I just feel like there's things that, that, that happen in this movie that could have been bigger. Like Serlina infiltrating MIB headquarters. That seems like that could be a big, bigger issue. The right. entire yeah. princess subplot. Even, that is, even that the is Power Rangers the movie dealt with something like that better yeah. than, than Men in Black 2. Yeah, like, you're right. Like, that should be played like a huge deal. That's a yes. big stronghold. That's like your big center for every single alien that shows up on the Earth. And then all of a sudden, like the big bad villain of the universe shows up. Kind of eating a cheeseburger. Yeah. Like Man. that's kind of a big thing. I don't know. 
I just I just realized how much of a Men in Black villain Ivan Ooze is. Um, yeah, like yes. that dude would have that dude would have worked really well in a Men in Black movie, probably better than a Power Rangers movie. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, anyway. Yeah, like I I couldn't I don't know. There's moments like um the scene where Laura gets taken isn't in the movie. She's just suddenly just in a rocket. Uh, I couldn't. I watched this last night, and for a hundred dollars, I couldn't tell you how John in Oxville leaves the movie. No, yeah, I can't remember. I don't remember. I don't and I just saw yeah. it. Uh, yeah, does he or is he just off he, camera for the? Yeah, I don't know if he dies. I don't know if he gets like clocked on the head or like Heads. turns good because <laughs> he was there for the deneuralization. There fight. is a part yes. that I'm remembering where the little head is giving the big head CPR. Yes, in Men in Black headquarters. <laughs> but and I don't. I don't remember what happens after. They that. get flushed, and I think it just completely moves along. I think okay. it's just like yeah. after the flushing, we're just we're just going, and then we're back with Tony Shalhoub or something, and then that's it. My my head cannon, no pun intended, is that uh, big big Johnny Knoxville didn't Make survive. He. He died, and then like an hour later, the little little one died because he didn't produce enough oxygen. <laughs> yeah, he died alone and scared, knowing that the end was coming. Man, that was the longest hour <laughs> with his little weird sleeve hoodie neck thing that he made. It was yeah. weird. I always thought that was like the part of like the skin or some weird gross thing, but then really yeah. looking at it again, it was like, oh no, that's just like your zippered up hoodie weird neck thing. I don't know, yeah. and it's, and yeah. it stretches. Right, yeah, it's like it extends with him. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, so there. I remember watching it as a, and even yesterday, there are like bursts of fun and moment, and like everything looks great and the acting is really great. But yeah, it really suffers from just this kind of sloppy story with a lot of kind of you know cringy humor that doesn't age very well, mm-hmm. uh, like Frank singing through "Who Let the Dogs Out." Honestly, I don't. I I, I feel like that was dated immediately upon it coming out Mm -hmm. like the only time that joke worked was in the trailer because you're like oh he's singing the song but then once you're in the movie it's like six months later and you're like oh no one likes this song anymore and honestly we have no memory of ever liking it at this point yeah so this is rough like the i will survive (laughs) works because i mean that's timeless now yeah it's evergreen that's fine yeah it's a it's a alien dog singing (laughs) oldies perfect yeah that's good yeah the Baja Men one could have just been in the trailer and that's it. Like, why have another dog singing bit? I don't know. Yeah. I think it was a big mistake getting him out of the suit. Is it, That's true. That He looked good in that suit. He made that suit look good. Mm-hmm. You look, know? you got to get the dogs singing about the dogs. It works. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was kind of cute watching Frank when he's in the car parking lot in MIB where he's, yeah. he's running alongside Will Smith and he's like, that's a cute dog in a little suit. I'm about that. Yeah. I'm happy. That yeah. was great. <laughs> There's your blockbuster. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. There was this, there was a bit early in the movie where Frank is, <laughs> where Frank is just, they're driving up to the post office and Frank is like, wow, I can't believe it. We're going to go see K, the legendary K, the greatest MIB agent we've ever seen. Your, your earlier mentor. partner, your mentor, your, your, you know, like all these things. And he's like talking up Jay. And I'm like, dude, he shook you like, crazy in the last movie like he picked you up and just turned you around and made like just roughed you up by shaking you around two f's and like why are you why are you you talking up this guy he was a dick to you in the last movie i don't know um 
Yeah. There's a lot of there's a full lot of body that. just lifted you up. Yeah. And just flipped you around and there's nothing you could do about it. Dead eyed look in his that face. Part. Yeah. <laughs> I also I also really get uncomfortable with how much Frank talks about the fact that he's just an alien that looks like a dog, but is also like really into like banging other dogs and is constantly <laughs> talking about it. I've thought about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> constantly talking about like how much he gets off with all of these, all, all these dogs as he calls them lots of bitch jokes. Lots of, sure. That's all that. Lots of that. Um, I don't know. I'm not, it's, uh, it's a lot. Frank is a lot in this one. He's not in men in black three as much, right? Or is he at all? No. In men in black three. I have seen Men in Black 3 once in theaters. Yeah, me too. I don't remember the extent that either Worm Guys or Pugs are in that. Okay. No, because they, they, they do it just for like the, the Rip Torn Zed funeral. Because I think they do. He, he passed oh, away right. in. Zed passed away. Yeah. yeah. Rip Torn. Rip Torn had not passed away <laughs> yet. And then, and then they go back in time and then it's just Josh Brolin, Will Smith's show. Okay. Okay. Oh, I also don't remember if someone plays a young Rip Torn. I don't remember no, that either. No, because I... <sighs> yeah, I don't remember that either. I think it's still Rip Torn. He would have just been an agent then, I think. It's like, just yeah, it's Rip Torn. De-aging stuff? No, 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 no. I don't think we were there yet. <laughs> I don't know. Hello! Well, <laughs> I guess we'll... It would be weird that they, like, like the movie's predicated on his death if he's in the movie. That would be weird. <laughs> um, God. Like in the, in the, like the rest of the movie. <laughs> What's it like in 2012? Oh, no. <laughs> no. That'd be awful. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll be talking about that more. Yes, you will. Uh, next week when we do Men of Black 3. But yeah, Men of Black 2, I mean, it's, it's, it's a misfire. I mean, granted, I, I, I think this is, a, this is a franchise full of various misfires, right? I think misjudgments, misfires, right? It's like we mistakes, took, some would say. Mistakes took five years to get this sequel off the ground um i remember by the time it coming out being hyped but like there was no way after five years of hype that this was going to match it It was like the ghostbusters 2 problem right Mm. same issue it's like ghostbusters 2 now in retrospect we're like yeah it's not as good as the first one it's fine it's watchable you know whatever but like it took five years for that movie to come out by the time it did no one really cared um, and the same thing with this. It's like it it took five years and it came out and everyone was like, oh, okay. And then it would take 10 years for Men in Black 3. And yeah, even 10 like years. After an animated series with somewhat mild success, at least for kids and like yeah. a younger age group like that. I love that. Animated at what series. point? Yes. Yeah, exactly. At what point do you have a popular animated series based off of a decent grossing movie that was, you know, could be franchised? Right. At what point do you not say? okay like we don't need to do a or what point do you say we don't need to do a sequel i godzilla no or does it yeah well godzilla was the same way it's like yeah they said we had the animated series we don't have to do a sequel and then that's it like that kind of work but that's the that's where i go there's there's the source material now that you can pull from to do a sequel because you have an animated series doing so many things like with the godzilla one at least you're going Look at all the monsters they created for the animated series. If yeah. you're going to make a Godzilla sequel, you can borrow from your own stuff. And then sure. Men in Black 2, it's like, you had a whole animated series. There's so many, like, the animated series can hit and miss all day because it's so many different episodes, so many different series. people writing. And, yeah. like, let that show take the chances. And then Men in Black 2, you should be able to say, 
okay, well, we know what works and what doesn't. Let's do it. Yeah. It just seems like everything was just like pointing towards we're going to make something that was the Agents J and K show. Mm-hmm. But it has, but it can't be the animated series. It's like, well, mm-hmm. the animated series worked. But it's like, yeah, no, no, no. no. But we got to do, we got to, I guess, do it real life in real life. I don't know, right? Yeah, you know, in terms of franchises, it really makes you makes me appreciate what something like Star Wars is doing. Yeah, or Dave Filoni, which is looking at this wide canon of animated stuff for children and families, and like, there's good stuff in here. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. I in bet there. we. Yeah, but it's so often, like you said, Godzilla, or even right in modern day with stuff like How to Train Your Dragon, they just like act like it doesn't happen, and good things that might make your universe or world better in the movie is just kind of ignored. Mm. I mean, at the very least, they could have maybe like found a better villain to use um, from you know pulling from the animated series. There you go, uh, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, I would call this movie a misstep, and I would call the next movie a miscalculation in terms of. Nobody wanted this anymore. Like, you guys waited too long. <laughs> Nobody was looking for Men in Black 3 by that point. Um, and I think, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think that the box office reflects that um, for Men in Black 3. But mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, excited to figure out, like, yeah, the, the road, why it took <clears throat> 10 years, yeah. how they got to the, the part three that they did. Very interesting. But yeah, but this was a great conversation, Mark and Nathan. Thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, yeah, why don't you? What do, what do you guys? Uh, what do you guys got going on? Why don't you uh, tell <laughs> tell our listeners what uh, what you guys are going to be working on for the next fifty weeks straight? Uh, ha, ha, ha. Scott's got jokes, but he's serious. It's not a joke. He's serious. It's a very serious a movie, guys. It's a it's a it's a game changing, life changing film you guys don't understand the the weight that this movie is i'm joking of course we're doing a we're doing a movies by minute podcast about Zack snyder's justice league so it'll be i guess the official runtime is four hours and 10 minutes which puts us at 250 minutes 250 episodes that we'll be talking about on our dc cinematic minute podcast where we've talked about man of steel dawn of justice wonder woman suicide squad uh minute by minute so now we're doing justice league and it's uh, it's been a long time coming, and uh, I think I'm gonna have a lot of fun with this one, but it's gonna be a lot of work. <laughs> I've uh, I've never is it interesting the idea of doing a minute by minute podcast about a movie that you that doesn't exist yet that you haven't seen yet? I think uh, I'm shaking in my boots. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the things because you don't know what to expect. I mean, at least with us doing. Going into Man of Steel when we were like, oh, we can do this minute by minute. And then after the fact, realizing like what you could have done, what you didn't do and what is really involved in just the entire process of making the show. It's a lot. So like at least like with that under our belt, but then still the just the overarching disaster of we haven't seen this movie and it's four hours. So it's like, eh, we'll piece it together as we go along it's a little frightening uh intimidating right. but i mean it's something that we love and, and enjoy so i think we can tackle I it think, decently i think because we did um we did suicide squad and there was yeah. a it was a lot of the same thing of like oh look this is where the original movie is this is where it's no longer the original movie this is a reshoot and and then putting the pieces again and going oh this scene should have this scene looks as if it was supposed to be before this scene and now it's not and doing all the kind of puzzle shuffling i feel like that's what we're going to be doing with this one a lot especially with over the last three years all the information that's come out about this movie and then now finally seeing the movie there's going to be a lot of 
oh, so this is that scene that they were talking about that was supposed to have, you know, this person in it, but they said that they filmed it and it never came to screen. And and then uh, and then there's a whole other villain in this movie that no one ever got to see before. And now the, yeah. that villain's in, in here. And and then and then there's the question of where does where does Zach want this movie to go this franchise to go and that's a whole other conversation and it's uh i I think we'll be able to cover in 250 episodes (laughs) yeah i would hope so definitely have enough to talk about (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, absolutely sure yes i'm excited for y'all to get into that yeah thanks so much for joining us guys uh listeners if uh you want to support us and uh you know vote on uh on things you're going to want to upcoming seasons of the show yeah so so when you're listening to this um, it hasn't happened yet, but uh, the first step in our voting process always happens on Twitter. So you're going to want to follow us on Twitter uh, at Franchiseography on Twitter. Follow us there. We're going to have uh, voting polls starting uh, during our next mini series for the mini series that will happen after our third mini series um, because, you know, we need time to plan these things, mm-hmm. etc. So we need to know what we're doing. Um, but uh, yeah, so so you'll want to follow us there. And then if you want to have the final say over what franchise we will be covering. Uh, you'll you'll want to join our Patreon for that. That's duelinggenre.com slash support. Uh, and if you uh, join us at, uh, support us at the Dueling Genre premiere tier or higher, uh, you will have a say, a vote in what, uh, what franchise we're going to be doing um, on, the, on the other side of our, our third franchise uh, this summer. So uh, check that out. It's duelinggenre.com slash support. Uh, join the Discord that we have. There's a link on our website, duelinggenre.com. Uh, go go click that. Join our Discord uh, channel and um, uh, join in on all the discussions that we're having about uh, presumably the Men in Black franchise, among other things. Uh, so be on the lookout for all of that stuff. We appreciate everyone who uh, supports the show in any way they can. And uh, we'll touch you next week with Men in Black 3. Bye, everybody. Bye. See you nod your hand. Come on. Nod your hand. Let me see you like this